thanks a lot. Um, I can't actually hear myself through this thing, so I'm just gonna do without it. Uh, can everyone hear me okay? Okay, great. Um, so I just wanted to first thank the organizers of Republica for putting on this amazing conference. Uh, I'm from the US and it's my first time at Republica and my first time giving this talk, so I've been wanting to give it for years and I'm really excited. Um, and specifically about this conference, I'm really impressed because I heard some other Berlin conferences were having a hard time with the concept of inclusion, but I can tell that Republica really put in the effort to have diversity here and the outcome is apparent. So thank you very much to the organizers. <laughs> thank you. Okay, so who am I? I'm Arikia. I'm an engineer by training and a journalist by experience. Um, in my past lives, I've done, I've worn a variety of hats and um, did a lot of stuff in journalism. Um, I don't know how the, the mixture came to be of engineering and journalism. I guess I thought journalism would be less sexist, but <laughs> not really. So in this talk, I'm going to pose some problems that I've encountered in my days. And if you have any solutions, then please feel free to reach out on Twitter or email. And um, I'm always looking for, for answers. So your input's welcome. Okay, so this is about the nothing, and if you're an 80s baby, then you probably grew up watching the movie The NeverEnding Story. So the nothing is this ultimate villain, because rather than um, like an evil figure, the nothing is just this force that turns everything it touches into nothing. It ceases to exist. So you've probably seen it before, but I'm going to refresh your memory just in case and play this clip. can hear myself again so that's better to field out the noise um, and how do I go back to the tubes uh, back to the presentation yeah cool thank you um, so that was the Gamork. It's probably the equivalent of like the advertising industry or um, 
other evil forces on the internet that like the DMCA copyright <laughs> agency or something. Um, so here's a quote about the nothing. It's created by humans' lack of imagination and reluctance to read books. The Gamork implies that all Fantasians lost to the nothing are reborn in the human world as lies. So this is the analogy that I've come up with that's the best thing to explain this phenomenon that can be thought of as the opposite of the right to be forgotten which is very important, uh, worthwhile cause, but I spend most of my time thinking about the flip side of that, which is um, how to maintain content online so that it persists into the future and that we can preserve the historical record. So the causes of the nothing, from the most simple to the most complicated, hardware, software, and human. And I'm gonna go through them and then uh, give you a couple of examples that I've encountered in life so you can get a sense of the nothing. Okay, so obviously if your hardware explodes here, they're using it as a barbecue, then you don't have your data there anymore. Um, I had the chance to interview an archivist a couple of weeks ago who spends his time um, at the University of Virginia basically preserving information to make sure that it will last into the future for as long as anything exists. So what you see in this picture on the left-hand side is a preserved page of a book that's 500 years old that Dan preserved himself. And on the right-hand side, you see an image from a 3.5-inch floppy disk that's only 10 years old. And the book was like in a sweaty basement, totally not taken care of. And the floppy disk was in a temperature-controlled facility, and the content is completely degraded on it. So we see this problem already with our online content, like what's going to happen when the hardware breaks down. On the software side, um, I want to focus on platforms, because the software and the apps we use to place content onto the internet is basically what is fighting the nothing. Um, especially like, I mean, when you click the publish button on a blog post or the tweet button, uh, we typically worry about the immediate consequences of what's going to happen to that content when it goes directly online. Um, in the world of 24 hour news cycles, we typically only <laughs> uh, worry about what happens to that content for three days because that's when you get the traffic peak and then the long tail you don't care about if you have advertising revenue. Um, but what about three years or three decades or three centuries down the line? Um, and then we have the human problem, which whenever you are dealing with machines, the humans are almost always at fault the most. So, platforms run by humans, um, they're built by people and those people have values. So those values determine how the platform will fare in a match against the nothing. So you can think of it like an RPG, um, like Pokemon or Dungeons and Dragons, I don't know what you guys are into, but you get the point. So, if a platform is to defeat the nothing and persisting throughout time, 
then the people who built it must value the preservation of the historical record um, and actively resist the efforts to remove the content that's been published there. Um, and some of the, the human like, takedown forces that result are from corporate entity transfers, failure to maintain hosting, which is expensive. Uh, they can be completely arbitrary, like no reason whatsoever, swaths of content will just be deleted. Something that I call 1984ing, which I will explain in a little bit, and the dreaded DMCA takedown, censorship, libel lawsuits, all these things that can result in journalistic content being pulled. So, this is the first case study I want to present to you. Um, Haiti Rewired was a section of Wired that I uh, co-founded and managed, and there were thousands of user accounts and peer-to-peer uh, -peer messages. It was started in 2010 as a response to the earthquake in Haiti, which killed 300,000 people. So Wired wanted to do something philanthropic to make sure that the network didn't just um, like fade away with the news cycle like disaster reporting usually does. Um, and when I left Wired in 2013, I retired from the project, but then in 2015 I received an email saying that Wired didn't want to pay for hosting anymore. And they asked me if I wanted it. I said, of course, I want this. Because this, not, this isn't just like food blogging. This is all of the manuals for <laughs> rebuilding a country after it's been ravaged by a natural disaster. And there weren't copies unless people had them individually on their home computers. But if the network went down, then those uh, connections between people were also severed. So I said, yes, I want it. And they said, here's your $700 hosting bill. It's due in four days. Good luck. So then I had to basically strong arm the editor-in-chief of Wired and said, look, this is your only philanthropic project you've ever done. I've seen your marketing team blow more than that at a happy hour. <laughs> like, you can pay for this for a little while longer. So they paid for it for a year. I fundraised the next year. And then... Um, I, I couldn't keep it up anymore and it went down. So the data is still there in Ning, but the site has transferred hands between managerial companies. Um, so now they've outsourced all their tech support to India and no one will answer questions. Um, so gone. All of this earthquake data claimed by the nothing. Maybe not forever if someone has ideas about how to export it and get it back online somehow, even though it's in a lock-in system open to it. Um, okay, number two, the how-to wiki. Thousands of DIY tech articles commissioned by Wired and hosted on the Wikimedia software. Um, arbitrarily, Wired was doing a redesign and they decided to basically like divvy it up for parts and they sold some of it to WikiHow, um, basically like the software, and then they pulled what they wanted onto um, the WordPress platform that Wired's run on, but what it did was um, it scrubbed all of the author info on WikiHow, so every author I commissioned that had a shining uh, resume credential that said they were published in Wired now has no proof of that, so if their future employers try to check up on it, then they might question it, or they can just call me and I'll tell them that they actually did publish there. So 
RIP How To Wiki, claimed by the nothing, thousands of articles. The third case study is from um, the company Lady Bits that I founded. It's a, a literary collective for women who write about technology, launched in 2013 as one of the first 12 paid collections on Medium. And I know Medium has this like kind of shiny reputation of being the go-to for publishing all of your wonderful content that you don't care about getting paid for, but I cared about getting paid back then, and so did all my writers. So in 2013, they were paying us five cents per click because they couldn't think of a more innovative model, I guess. And we mutually terminated our contract in 2014 after a year because um, they kept changing the rules of engagement and said like, okay, now it's five cents a click, but then we're gonna do like claps or whatever other metrics. And um, basically we had no consistency to run a business and uh, they, they called Lady Bits the squeaky wheel because I like filing bug reports. Like if something's broken and I'm gonna use it, I wanna craft a strong platform into the future. But so, Lady Bits stopped publishing on Medium. We published in a lot of other outlets, so that content's all over the web, and it's great. But by 2017, I noticed that all of the Lady Bits branding had been removed from the 300-plus articles that we published on Medium that um, I assigned and commissioned and paid taxes on. <laughs> so credit where credit is due, not in this case. Um, Even though, this is, I love this article. Um, so Medium used journalists basically to seed its network, um, to set the standards for the quality of content that they wanted and pave the way for mass user acquisition um, since 2013. And then it stopped paying us, it stole our content and acted like we never existed because basically the articles were just floating around, other collections could claim them. Um, and this, someone recognized our effort. <laughs> Rusty Foster said, Lady Bits did more than anyone else to turn Medium from the thought catalog for the startup bro cringe pile that it was a year ago into the home of some of the best and most diverse voices of any platisher. Um, so, but the collection was empty. There was no proof, no historical record of any of that. So I just wanted to show you, this is the email transactions, all of them, well, this is like a third of them actually, of the back and forth that I had to go through with Medium's tech support team after asking a listserv of like the 500 most powerful women in New York if anyone had a direct contact there because they were ignoring my tech support tickets. So like 30 exchanges later, finally get Lady Bits restored on Medium, yay. And then I asked like, okay, well, what, what should I tell other people who are no doubt having this problem? And they said, don't tell them anything, this was just for you. So then, um, just a couple of weeks ago, I realized that there were sub-collections from Lady Bits that um, I hadn't accounted for, neither had they when they were doing this conversion. So I emailed them again and their response was basically just like, 
do it yourself. They wanted, uh, and I guess they expect this of everyone that uses their platform, for the writers to go and manually reconnect <laughs> the articles to the platforms, which would be like like 200 emails minimum. You know, I don't know how much time that would take. So I said, actually, <laughs> you're the head of engineering did it for me before so he can do it again I'm sure he'll teach you how and defeat over the nothing oh wait that was supposed to be a gif but I don't know how to play it this is like my favorite gif um I just like to see birds run uh so but that's okay you can watch it later <laughs> um okay really quickly this is a weird one um what I call 1984ing uh, so in 2012, when I was working at Wired, I was uh, working in Times Square, which was really close to the Empire State Building. So there was an active shooter, like, the guy just went crazy, wanted to kill his co-worker, and did. But after he did that, two NYPD officers open-fired on him. And so I'm watching this article, because I'm like, okay, I don't want to walk out into a sea of bullets uh, from my office and I noticed that like I guess I clicked away from the page and went back to it and when I did the article had changed so the first time that I read it it mentioned that the NYPD also shot nine bystanders in the process of trying to take down this criminal and then over the course of the day while refreshing the article um, that little detail went further and further down in the article, and the language was softened to kind of alleviate the NYPD of their responsibility of shooting nine innocent people in front of the Empire State Building. So I realized, like, in the old days when the New York Times was printed, uh, they would have to issue corrections if anything was changed in the content. But now with their website, um, it's up to their editorial discretion about when they announce the edits that they're making to a static URL and when they can just change things without anyone knowing unless you're a freakish editor like me that's just reading every single word for details. Um, and, you know, I've heard some people in the journalism panels here say that, oh, editorial standards, like ed editors are impervious to... Uh, external pressures, but they're not. And this is clearly a case where the NYPD was having a PR crisis and probably called them and said, like, head your language or, like, maybe we won't give you access anymore. So now when you try to look for it, the original link isn't even up. Um, someone managed to screenshot the cover page, which says, it just says, 10 people were shot, but it makes it sound like the shooter has shot all of them, even though he didn't. Um, but to their credit, uh, reporters did follow up on the, the cops shooting the innocents. Um, and so then, here is like the, the big content swaths that, that have been popularized in the U.S. media recently. I'm sure you've heard about the Gawker versus Peter Thiel situation. Um, you may not have heard about Gothamists being taken totally offline by its billionaire funder Joe Ricketts, who just decided he didn't want the journalists to unionize, so okay, he was shutting it down and then they could delete all their content. Great. Um, so 
This is journalism's billionaire problem, which is also contributing to the nothing and will continue to because if no one is funding the maintenance of these sites and the content is owned by people who aren't the writers, then it can be deleted or changed at any time. Um, <laughs> and some people probably have good reason to do so. So, oh wait. Yeah, so how can anyone have hope if even these massive publications with multi-million dollar budgets uh, can't defeat the nothing? How can anyone? Because if we don't, then we have lapses in the historical record, deleted content all over the place, um, link rot, when links don't line up to each other and then you can't uh, validate sources so you don't know what's real, and then all of the misinformation can seep into the historical record. Um, writer portfolios diminish and no one can learn from past mistakes, so maybe we're fated to just make them over and over. So what do we do? The princess of uh, the never-ending story is crying and sad about it, just like me. So one solution is that we can all get in the mindset of archivists <laughs> and we can start making the effort to preserve our own content if we're writers and if we're publishers or have any influence over publishing ecosystems whatsoever, we can give it an effort. Here, the Freedom of the Press Foundation uh, took the initiative to preserve Gawker's archives um, after the Hulk Hogan, Peter Thiel lawsuit because Thiel wanted to buy the archives and just like do whatever with them, delete them, just as a kind of extra fuck you. Um, not happening anymore. Uh, the hackers also made tools to help Gothamist archive their content. You know, thousands and thousands of articles published about New York City over the course of a decade at least. Um, so it's still going to be there in the future, at least for a little while. Um, and I love this, this quote, um, journalists, get your clips together now, because we have to start taking the initiative to, to do it ourselves. And of course, there's the Internet Archive. Um, they do a great job, probably severely underfunded actually know that they are, so we can help fund them. Um, but we need more archivists out there, otherwise this content's gonna disappear and we won't know what's going on less than we already do. Um, so exercise selectivity in publishing outlets based on their business models, um, rather than just continuing to hit publish and hoping that some benevolent foundation will step in and preserve what you want to be preserved. Um, take it into your own hands and start researching the business models of publications, what their data policies are. And today I'm happy to introduce to you that this is what I'm going to be doing full time from now on. I'm founding a company called Control X and I'm going to be researching and developing alternate business models for online media as well as alternate uh, technological platforms and archiving protocols. So if this is a problem for you or anyone that you know about, please get in touch because I want to help solve that problem and making sure that journalists can keep documenting the world as events unfold so that we don't screw ourselves even more. Together we can combat the nothing 
and let our internet fantasies live on forever. Oh, that did say thank you. <laughs> and it's cut off, but I'm Arikia at protonmail.com if you want to get in touch. Thanks a lot. <laughs>